Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. This is familiar to us. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And I'm glad the Bible doesn't stop right there. Because verse 6 says, Thank God in showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God in it. Thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And because you are such an intelligent group of people, you are well aware that what I just read to you is commonly known as... The Ten Commandments. Not Ten Suggestions, of course. Ten Commandments. Now, my title today is a little different. And let me just offer this. If you have tried to create the impression with all your fellow worshipers that you came from your mother's womb speaking in tongues, and you have tried to not let them think that you ever knew anything about the beggarly elements of sin, when I give my title, please do not react adversely or you will destroy that image. Okay? Because we are not going to the pool hall. But my title is number 10 in the corner. I was just scared some of it would flash back to your pool hall days and give it away. Number 10 in the corner. And you can be seated. God bless you. I want to start today with a statement that I believe from center to circumference. Every part of me believes this. And that is this simple declaration. There is nothing like the church. Now, now, hold it. I'm sorry. I don't have to have your response to preach, but you need. You reacted like I just said. There is nothing like Bojangles chicken. I personally prefer churches or whatever. Did you hear what I said to you? That in all the world, no matter where you go and what you're ever a part of, no matter what group ever accepts you, you will never find anything on this planet like being a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Paul called it a mystery which had been hidden through the ages past but was revealed in the New Testament age. It is such a wonder that the Bible uses various descriptive metaphors and similes to help us get a hold and kind of grasp its profound nature. There is the marvel of Christ having a bride which is identified as the church of Jesus Christ. Collectively, my dear brothers and sisters, we are betrothed to him and we anxiously await the day we'll sit down with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. 
It's a bride. It's also likened to a building crafted by God and founded upon the message of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The Bible says that we are lively stones fitted into the structure, but collectively the Bible says we are built up as a holy habitation for our God. It's a bride. It's a building. It's a family in which we are brothers and sisters and God is our Father. And there is a familial care and a unity which arises out of that relationship wherein, just like in your natural family, we might even disagree from time to time on something, but underneath it all we keep this straight. We've got one name and we've got one blood and we've got the same Father and the church is our mother and no matter what else happens, we are family. It's, it's a bride, it's a building, it's a family, and it's a body. It's depicted with Christ as the head and each of us as members in particular. No two alike, but no one unneeded. All interconnected and valuable until a disparate group of people with different backgrounds and different educations and different incomes and different perspectives and different skin color and different political leanings can lay all that stuff aside at the door of this place and walk in and say, no matter what divides us out there, in here we are one and we believe there is one Lord and one faith and there's more that unites us than divides us there's something wonderful about the church and I'm just telling you there's nothing like it out there uh, I, um, I've been using kind of joking and telling folks I'm a recovering pastor pastored for 15 years in a place that most of you have never heard of called Florissant, Missouri, and then Hazelwood, Missouri. But see, we were just six miles down the road from a place you have heard of, Ferguson, Missouri. We made the news for all the wrong reasons, but I'm not even about to discuss the, the issues. I'm not even talking about the circumstances that precipitated it and policing practices and all that kind of stuff. All I want to tell you is that every expert in our community was telling us we can't get along, there's too many barriers, there's too many things that make us different, you can't get along with one another. I wish all those educated idiots could have been in our church on Sunday when people gathered from all over that community and we didn't look alike and we didn't talk... But you know what we did? We walked in and no matter what color wrapped us up, we wrapped our arms around each other and said, we're in this thing together and it's one body and you're my brother and you're my sister and we will not let this world divide the church. We do it every week. We do it every week. We rejoice with those that rejoice and we weep with those that weep. Where else are you going to find a place where when one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, and when one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it? We come together and celebrate one another's victories, and we come together and weep over one another's struggles. I'll say it again. There is nothing like the church. I just want to brag on the church for a couple minutes. This is where you'll find love. This is where second chances are common things. This is where you'll be embraced and forgiven and supported and cared for. 
This is where you can come after a weary week of struggle and find somebody to put an arm around your shoulder and say, I've been thinking about you all week. I've been praying for you. I love you. There's nothing like this place. This is where we bask in the warmth of collective worship. And this is where we find healing in our minds and in our hearts. This is where you could bring your mistakes and find mercy. This is where you could bring your disappointments and find hope. This is where you could bring your weariness and find strength. There's nothing like the church. I'll go one step further. I love the church. I'm not here because I have to be. I love the church. I'm not just here to try to escape hell. I love the church. telling you I'll just say it for whatever wart she might have she's the best looking girl at the party I know I know so well you're just a guest here I know you don't know all about our church sure I do I know it's not perfect you and I are here but it's still the best thing that ever happened in my life don't, don't, you know, don't, don't go talking bad to me about my mama. Uh, my mama's still alive. She's 87 years old. She lives alone. You say, you just told her age. She's reached a point she's proud of it. That's right. She's 87 years old, still lives alone, can whip most everybody here. Tough old German gal, tougher than a pine knot, man. She... You can, you know what? I'm an easygoing guy. Really. I, I refuse to live my life offended. I refuse to live my life just. You can walk up to me at the close of service and say, You're about the sorriest preacher I ever heard. And I will look at you and just feel bad you've got such poor taste in preachers. I just, you know, I'm, I refuse to live offended. You can't. But you walk up and start talking bad about my mom, we might have a discussion. She birthed me. She loved me when nobody else did. She cared for me when nobody else did. You don't want to come up to me and start talking bad about what gave birth to me. Don't come up to me and start telling me what's wrong with the church and how bad the church is. No, you don't want to do that. This place gave birth to me. This place loved me when nobody else did. This place cared for me when I was wounded. This, I love the church. Woo, I love it. I love it. <laughs> when we built our church building, I, we had this big old long hallway upstairs. Just, we doubled our space. We were so thankful. Now, of course, they've outgrown it and had to expand again. I thank God for that. But, but big old long hallway with all the classrooms, you know. And I wasn't a real good pastor, Brother Johns, because I couldn't name all those classes in order. I could never keep it straight. Primary and beginner and junior and junior. I don't know. Sent my kids upstairs. Go on the one that fits. I just, I couldn't ever keep it all straight. I just know we had this big old long, long hallway of all these classes. And we had new converts care. And we had deaf ministry and all these classes up there. I went to my bishop one time. I said, Bishop Dugas, we're one class short. I wish we'd have built one more. You know, every square foot you build costs money. And a bunch of it. So we didn't build this class. He said, what are we missing? I said, I need one more. I just want one class with a sign on the outside of it that says negative people. <laughs> with a door that locks from the outside. And we could just put them in there and lock them in and 
Let them whine and cry till Jesus comes and probably for seven years thereafter. All I want is everybody else to be out here saying, you know what, talk bad about it if you want to. But I love my church. I love my pastor. I love our staff. I love our music. I love the building. I love my neighbors. Somebody needs to back up and realize this is the greatest blessing you've ever had. Thank God for the church. I'm just going to tell you, you can't run me off from the church. You can't treat me bad enough to make me leave. There's nothing out there I want. I found every answer to life in this place. My marriage needs the church. My family needs the church. My kids need the church. My finances need the church. This is the greatest thing on the planet. I love the church. I need the church. You're going to go to heaven, you're going to go with the church. I need the church. Between here and there, I depend on the church. It is absolutely true that at the end of my road, I have to have worked out my own salvation with fear and trembling. When I stand before God, nobody's going to answer to God for me but me. When I stand, when I kneel in His radiant glory, I promise you all excuses are going to dry up in our mouths. I'm going to be able to look at him and say, well, you know, so, no, no, no. All those excuses will dry up in our mouths. So ultimately, the responsibility for my eternity rests on me. But it is also true that no one is an island. And we need each other. We are not independent. We are interdependent. If you look around this room right now, you will see those people on whom you depend to get to heaven. And you will see people who depend on you to get to heaven. And that is the point I want to arrive at here today, that we are accountable for one another. There is an incredible responsibility that rests on that good man on the second row and on his wife. It is profound and it is immeasurably heavy and it is something which I can tell you from firsthand experience cannot be grasped by anybody who has not felt its weight. To know that someday... You're going to stand before God and give an account for how you handled the spiritual well-being of a group of eternal souls that he died for? I promise you that will keep you up at night. That's why you ought to thank God for your pastor every day. You ought to pray for your man of God every day. And you ought to be very careful about ever putting your tongue against him because of some decision he made when you don't even know why it happened. But I want for just a season here to broaden the focus because he is not the only one that's responsible for your spiritual well-being. Do you want to know who else besides that precious couple is responsible to get you to heaven, dear sister? She is, and she is, and he is, and he is, and she is, and he is because all of us together are supposed to help one another on this journey. You help bear the weight of getting everybody in this place to heaven. I, I, I need a little help. Would you come help me, my good brother? Would you hop up here right quick? And, and DJ, would you come? I did this by design because look at these two. <laughs> and there's a point to this. Stay, just stand here just a minute. A few years ago, my wife and I and our family was at, were in San Francisco for Christmas, and we drove up across the, the Golden Gate Bridge and up into Muir Woods, which is one of the redwood groves. Thus the examples. Now, if you have never been there to see the redwoods, 
No picture does it justice. No National Geographic YouTube clip does it justice. These things are 300 feet tall. They're massive. And you just have to see it to really appreciate it. But here, here's the thing. I grew up in the Midwest. And so my mind is cluttered with little factoids that have very little value. But let me share one with you. I know that in the Midwest, the trees we have there, the oaks, the maples, the elms, all that kind of stuff, on average, the roots of those trees go down as deep as the tree is tall. On average. If you've got a 30-foot maple, the roots go down 30 feet. you got an old, mature 80-foot oak, on average, the roots go down 80 feet. Usually, there is as much wood beneath the ground as there is above the ground. Now, with that in mind, I'm standing here looking at these redwoods. Ho ho! And we're walking through the forest, and we come on this little sign that the forest department, or the conservation department, or the department of the interior, don't ask me to explain why our outdoor parks are under the department of the interior. I can't explain that to you. <laughs> Help your neighbor if they didn't get that. It's all right. The sign says there, and we're walking through. See the sign, and it says, "The roots of the average redwood." Go down three feet. No. I studied Newtonian physics in college. There's no way. You let the coastal winds blow on limbs that are 300 feet tall. You got a 300-foot lever and the fulcrum at the ground. Ain't no three-foot roots going to hold that up. Can't be. Clerical error. Decimal error. Pray for my wife. I wish I were kidding. I went looking for somebody to report they had a typo on their sign. I really did. I wish that weren't true, but I, I, I look and I go down and I see a forest ranger down there, you know, feeding Yogi and Boo Boo or whatever it is he's doing. And I went down to my hey, Slick. I said, there's a sign up here on that other path right around the corner. And you got a typo on it. I think it's a decimal error. Somebody left out two zeros. It says the roots of these trees only go down three feet. He said, that's true. I said, that can't be true. They wouldn't stand up. He said, did you read the rest of the sign? <laughs> There's more. <laughs> because the roots of the average redwood only go down three feet, but they go out up to a mile. And in that mile, they find the roots of the next redwood. And they tie them together. And they find the roots of the next redwood. And they tie them together. He said, you got to understand, the wind's not just blowing on one tree. It's blowing on the whole forest. And since the wind can't knock down the forest, it can't knock down any of its members. Hell can fight the church, but it can't knock down the church. If we just hold on to each other, you can make it. You can make it. You can make it. <laughs> I look at him and I said, sir, just so you know, I'm going to preach the hair off that. He said, well, then, preacher, let me offer you something else. He said, there are trees out in that forest. We thought they were dead. We were ready to give up on them. If it had been up to us, we'd have cut them down. They hadn't shown any signs of life in years, but their neighbors just would not let go of them. 
He said, and sure enough, we came in one day and there was a little green leaf out on the end of a limb. And he said, if you saw them today, you'd never know they were weak. You'd never know they were sick. You'd never know they went through the struggle because their neighbors just held on to them until life came back. Come on, church, when somebody's struggling, don't cut them down. Hold on to them. When somebody's weak, grab hold of them. And one Sunday, you're going to see the life come back. I can do nothing that might hinder one of my brothers or sisters on this journey, even if it means depriving myself of my rights and I must do everything I can to help my brother and sister make it on this journey even if it means sacrificing above what is comfortable or what some might call reasonable I've got to quickly get to my text that was the longest and most excited introduction you've heard the good news is the message is not of commensurate link with the introduction even people who know hardly anything about the Bible are familiar with the Ten Commandments. And for nothing else, they are aware of the legal battles which have surrounded their display in public venues around the country. This concise expression of God's moral code is known as the Decalogue. And it's found in two places in Scripture. All my life, growing up in Sunday school as a youth, Bible school, I've always known that the Ten Commandments are in two places of Scripture. If you want to find them, they're very easy. God made it easy for us with mathematics. There's Ten Commandments. They are found in Exodus 20. That's ten times two. They're found in Deuteronomy 5. That's ten divided by two. Use your cell phone if you need help with that. <laughs> the bottom line is they're easy to find. And there's two lists. I've always known that. Now, there are other verses, of course, all through the Bible that reiterate those truths and those lessons and those commandments. But to find a listing of them, you go to one of those two places. I've always known that until recently. Here a while back, I was reading in the book of Leviticus. You remember Leviticus, right? The book that's killed many a bread chart. <laughs> we might as well be honest. I... <laughs> I am of the opinion that Leviticus has broken more New Year's resolutions than Krispy Kreme has, okay? Just so we know. I was reading Leviticus and I found something amazing. In, in the 19th chapter of Leviticus, there's a third listing of the Ten Commandments. I never do it. Now, they're not in the same order. And some of them are worded a little differently. But interspersed through that chapter is another chronicle of the Ten Commandments. Now, I'm going to take you on a whirlwind tour, okay, because Cracker Barrel awaits. Just follow me. It awaits you. Commandment number one in Exodus, right? I am the Lord that brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Here's Leviticus, and I don't have all these on the screen. Here's Leviticus 19, 36 to 37. I am the Lord your God which brought you out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe to all my statutes, all my judgments. I am the Lord. Commandment number two is about no graven images. Leviticus 19 and 4 says, Turn you not unto idols, nor make to yourself molten gods. Wow. Commandment number three is don't take his name in vain. Here's Leviticus 19 and 12. Ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shall thou profane the name of thy God. Command number four is about the Sabbath. Here's Leviticus 19 and 3. Keep my Sabbaths. It was kind of blowing my mind at this point. So I printed out Exodus 20, and I printed out Leviticus 19, and I started drawing lines. 
Here's number one, number two, there's three, there's four. Here's commandment number five is honor your father and mother. Here's Leviticus 19 and 3. Ye shall fear every man his mother and his father. I might point out when it says honor, it lists dad first, but when it says fear, it puts mom first. There's a lesson to be learned right there. <laughs> commandment number, number six is don't kill. Leviticus 19 and 7, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Now, now that's what Jesus reached back to in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it said, you've heard don't kill. I tell you, don't hate your brother. He didn't make that up on the spot. He reached into Leviticus 19. That's where it is. Commandment number 7 is about adultery. Leviticus 19 and 20 and 29 refer to lying carnally with a woman. They talk about prostitutes and whoredoms. Commandment number 8 is don't steal. Leviticus 19 and 11, ye shall not steal. Commandment number 9, don't fear false witness against your neighbor. Leviticus 19, 11, 13, 16, don't deal falsely, neither lie one to another. Thou shalt not defraud thy neighbor. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people. Neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. It is blowing my mind. I never knew they were there. They're all, and I'm sorry, there's one, two, three, there's four, there's five down here, six, seven, there's eight, there's nine. <laughs> and I, as shocked as I was to find the first nine, I was even more shocked to realize I couldn't find number 10. Number 10 is the one about coveting. I looked all through Leviticus 19, and the word covet is not there. Then it hit me. There were no chapter divisions back then. It's probably the end of 18 or the first of 20. That was brilliant, but wrong. <laughs> it wasn't there either. I used my high-dollar Bible computer software program. I searched the whole book of Leviticus. You know how many times the word covet occurs in Leviticus? Zero. And I'm like, Lord, you are really messing up what was shaping up to be a pretty cool sermon. And then, my dear brothers and sisters, I found it. Number 10 is in the corner. Leviticus 19, and I do have this on the screen for you, verses 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your lands, ye shall not wholly reap the corners of thy field. Neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. Thou shalt not glean thy vineyard. Neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You see, coveting is when I desire something that is not mine. Coveting is when I look at something that belongs to you and I say, I want it. And God told Israel, what is in the corners of your field does not belong to you. It belongs to somebody that's broken. It belongs to somebody that's weak. It belongs to somebody that's worn. It may be inside your fence. You may have planted it. You may have watered it, but it belongs to them. And if I look at what belongs to them and try to keep it for myself, I am coveting. Give me a minute. I'll make sense of it. This is what Ruth capitalized on. Remember when she and Naomi came back from Moab and she went into the field of Boaz and she gleaned? My brothers and sisters, Boaz does not get a pat on the back for doing that. He would have got thumped in the head if he hadn't. Because, listen, Ruth was not picking up some of Boaz's grain. Ruth was picking up Ruth's grain. Because God had already given it to her in Leviticus 19. Boaz didn't do anything magnanimous. He just gave her access to what was already set aside for her. Hear me. 
God had decreed that what was in the corners of the field belonged to her by divine edict. It might have been in Boaz's control, but it was not his possession. It might have been his soil. It might have been his seed. It might have been his labor, but it belonged to her. I think, and here's my point, I kind of think that's how the church works. Not everything inside my field belongs to me. Some of it belongs to somebody that's broken. I'll make it make sense right here. Not everything in my worship field is mine. I'm not supposed to worship until I feel God. I'm supposed to worship until somebody else can. I'm not supposed to be faithful enough for me to get to heaven. I'm supposed to be faithful enough for you to get to heaven. I'm not supposed to pray until my family is saved. I'm supposed to pray until your family is saved. I don't sing until I have victory. I'm supposed to sing until you have victory. I don't praise and dance until I feel good. I'm supposed to praise and dance until somebody else feels good. Come on, somebody, it might be in your field, but it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to somebody that's had a hard week. It belongs to somebody that's been struggling. And if I'll just give the corners of my worship, somebody will find what they need. That's why... I can't say I'm a little tired today. I think I've given enough. I'll be okay. I'll go to heaven. The question is, will somebody else go to heaven? Will somebody who's broken and weary in this church make it based on what I've given? When I hold back part of my worship, I'm not holding back part of my worship. I'm holding back part of yours. It doesn't belong to me, my brother. Because <laughs> there'll come a day I'll need what's in your field. Today you might need what's in mine. That's why we're the church. That's why our roots are tied together. So between us, we can make it all the way. Let me, let me share a personal story with you as I prepare to conclude here. I... Uh, about five, six years ago, something like that, I went through one of the darkest seasons pastor in my church I had gone through. I was broken. I was hurting. I was empty. I hadn't felt God in weeks. Oh, you're the pastor. That's why. I was hurting, folks. And I sat, mirror image, I, I sat over here at our church and I had to get up and preach a Sunday. I had to get up and preach a couple minutes, and I didn't have anything. I didn't feel anything. I didn't have a word. I, I was going to preach on hell because that's where I'd been living, but I didn't have anything to preach. And I'm trying. And I'm looking around my field, and it's just dirt. There's not a blade of grass anywhere. There's no crops. There's nothing to eat. And I'm drying up and dying inside. Choir singing. People are just, I've just got nothing. And about that time over on this side, way back toward the back, we got this little gray-headed grandmother of Zion. Her name is Granny Foster. If you met her today, she would introduce herself. Hi, I'm Granny. Most folks in our church literally do not know her first name. 
She's just Granny Foster. Now, I'm going to be nice. It's hard, but Granny's old. Ain't no nice way to say it. She's sneezing dust, okay? She's old. Just being honest. And Granny, she's combing cobwebs, okay? She's old. That's all I'm saying. Granny got out of her seat, and she started toward the front about like this. And I, I'm sorry, I'm so so bad sometimes. All I could think is, you better hurry. I don't know how long the song is. <laughs> Be embarrassing, wouldn't it, to get right here and they quit? You know. <laughs> but she made it. She got down here to the front. She threw those little bony, blue-veined hands up in the air. And she gave it everything she had. It went something like this. I ran. I ran out of my seat as fast as this pudgy old boy could get over there. And I ran over and grabbed that little hand. And when I did, more Holy Ghost shot through me than I had felt in the last month. I took to talking in tongues and dancing and celebrating. I jumped up at that pulpit and I preached with victory. You want to know why? Because I went over in the corner of her field and I found what I needed that day. She didn't go up there and worship so she'd go to heaven. She worshiped so I would. Come on, somebody, you got to give a little extra. You got to give a little extra. You just never know who needs what you have that day. You may be living in victory, but somebody's field is dry. Somebody's field is empty, and they need you to give the corners of your field. I wish we'd lift a shout of praise in this place right now. I wish we'd lift up something that somebody needs. Would you stand with me right now, everybody? And just before we do anything else, would you just say, God, I just want you to know you've been good to me. I love the church. I love my brothers and sisters. Here's a little worship for you. Give a little extra. Don't give enough so you feel God. Give enough so somebody else can. Uh, all right, so here's what I want to do. I, I've been in this a long time. I know how we usually do things. And you know what we usually do at an altar call? I'm afraid we do it backwards. Because what we do is we say, if you've got a need, if you're broken, if you're weary... If you're hungry, come on up here. And then once they come, we hope somebody will come behind them. And I wonder if we do it all wrong. I wonder if maybe what we ought to do is say, okay, who's got some extra today? Who, who's had a good week and you're feeling victory today? Maybe we ought to invite those people up to start worshiping God and then say, if you're hungry, look at everything that's here. If you're weak, look at everything that's here. If you're broken, there's fields up here. You can come dine in. I just want to try something silly. I want to know who's got a little extra today you can come up here and offer. I want to know who's got a little extra in the corners of your field that you can just come up and start worshiping God. You don't really need anything today. You've just got an abundance and you want to praise God.
Come on, somebody, bring a sound of victory with you. Bring a sound of abundance. Bring a sound of extra. You hear that? There's plenty. There's plenty. There's plenty. There's plenty. Now, now we're going to do it again in just a minute. I'm not killing anything. Just listen. If you're here today and you're hungry, if you're here today and you say, that's the kind of church I'd like to be a part of. If you're here today and you say, man, it's been a hard week. I've been struggling. I got good news for you. There's plenty in the house of God for you. I know the aisles are full, the altar is full, but if you've got a need from God, I want you to come up among this great body. And listen, church, I don't want anybody praying alone right now. I don't want anybody praying alone right now. I want you to find somebody nearby, and we're going to praise God together. Link your roots with somebody. Tie your roots in with somebody and say, I'm here for you. We're going to make it. Now, one more time, now that we're connected, would you let a sound come up out of this house of strength?